0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Where There's Whiskey. It's your favorite three, Joel, Greg, and Luke here today. We've got a brilliant podcast up for you today. Obviously, we're going to be starting off with our Whiskey of the Week, and then Greg is going to be telling us a little bit more about independent bottlers and this new rule that has come across from the Scottish Whiskey Association. It's going to be brilliant, so we hope that you enjoy it.
1: But before all that, we need to uh, get a little bit loose. And so,
2: Luke, are you going to introduce this episode with (laughs) I sure am, Greg. And I'm really excited to hear what your little tweak of the scotch whiskey association rules are, because I'm familiar with one recent change, and I'm curious to see if it's the same thing. So, yeah, very interesting. This week, Joel and Greg are going to be tasting Anok, spelled A-N-C-N-O-C, Anok Pete Hart, I'm going to be comparing that with two other whiskies from the same distillery. The distillery is actually called Noctu Distillery. Um, and it's one of the smallest in the Highlands. I'm going to compare that with the Black Hill Reserve and the 12-year-old. One thing that strikes me about all three is the remarkable similarity in the color. It's a very yellow whiskey. Pete Hart's probably the darkest of the three, the 12 being slightly golden and the Black Hill Reserve being very pale.
0: What's the colour for you guys? I agree. I agree. You know, on the notes of yes, it is. It is quite pale, especially for a peated whiskey. I think my experience with especially the heavier peated whiskeys it's usually it is quite a darker whiskey. Yeah, I. I, I don't know. I feel. I feel it's sometimes even just more pleasant to look at if there is a bit more depth to it when i remember we were doing a a, a taste testing recently and i mean yes granted they were sort of like very early age whiskies but they were all quite pale and not that that threw me off but i like i do like the look of you know like a nice whiskey glass with a sort of a thick brown whiskey i just think it looks absolutely class um so, yeah, it's almost, you know, like a bit of a negative first point for me, which, I you know, obviously, I'm sure that opinion will change. But Well, no, Greg, that's you exactly any- why I
2: brought it up as well, to be honest, yeah. because yeah. I, I also prefer a much darker color. Um, it's much more appetizing to look at, to be honest. That said, that's what makes this a not quite unique. It is a mark of a young age, and especially with Pete Hart, Black Hill, being non-age statements, you have probably guess it's quite young. What do you get on the nose then? So I've been sniffing
1: it for a while, and uh, it's quite interesting. I've never done this before, but if I just stick my nose in, as as you do, I get yeah very strong peat notes. There's almost some like uh, some citrus in there as well. But what's quite interesting, and this is a bit weird, is if I kind of shake my head just over the glass while sniffing, I'm getting frazzles
2: as in this the chocolate um sweets with millions on top the white chocolate
1: no no they're they're dazzlers oh, the, ba-
2: the bacon oh, frazzles oh,
1: <laughs> smoky bacon that's why oh
2: getting. okay yeah
1: I, lo- I love frazzles i haven't had frazz- frazzles
0: in ages well
1: that's yeah no that's why i get on the. but it's interesting because it's only i guess it's kind of where my nose is a bit away from the glass so, I get that,
2: but. So, you're really getting the smokiness. Uh, are you getting an, And you said a bit of citrus as well coming through.
0: Yeah, a bit of citrus underneath. Yeah, well, I mean, funnily enough, I was definitely getting the citrus as well. In terms of peat sort of aromas, it's a very, it's quite a light selection of peaty aromas. You know, usually it's something that's quite, there's quite, a, you know, there's quite a lot to the smell. That like first, you know, you sort of get this instant smack in the face with the nose. But, with this, it's quite—I don't know—it's almost like a, like a quite energetic and excited peatiness, which I, I quite like because I, you know, as I'm sure both of you know, I'm not a massive fan of my peated whiskies, but I can definitely appreciate that this, you know, it's you know, sort of it's got some life to it. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting whiskey from the get-go.
2: That's a really good spot, Joel. Uh, they describe it as a floral mm. smokiness or a floral peat. So yeah, really good spot there.
0: Feel free to dive was, in. Don't wait for was, me. That was my next thing. I was, I was like, can we, can we get to it now, please? <laughs> oh, wow. Initially, straight away, that feels a lot
1: peaty than it smells. Can I ask what strength it is?
2: 46%. So it could probably do with a drop of water or two.
1: Yeah, with a drop of water,
0: you get more of that citrus coming through. So a bit, well, kind of a bit of lemon. I agree with you, Greg. In the peatiness level, it definitely takes a step up uh, on the palate rather than on the nose. Um, I think it's a gorgeous. The width of the flavour, I think that's what I got. It, you know, it's it was it was just everywhere on my palate. It was really, really quite nice. It, unfortunately, it's gone quite quick. I've got a little bit of a taste at the back of the throat, but apart from that, it, you know, it sort of fizzles away quite quickly. But there's definitely that citrus flavour to it which I, I quite like. I think that goes really well with a, with a, a decent PT level. Definitely a, um, a, an evening sort of whiskey though, which I think is quite timely at the moment, given that it's sort of 20 past eight. I think that, that works out quite well. Well, yeah, because it's a very quick finish, but it's a very warm finish. Exactly, exactly. Which, you know, which is quite good. It, you know, it's, a, it's very inviting. It's almost like, right, yeah, you know, sip number two, go on kind of thing it's quite nice
2: that for me is one of the most exciting things about the enoch whisk is the finish and i'd recommend it to anyone who knows wants to know what are these guys talking about when they talk about finish trying an knock mm. it's just so warming it's so long lasting it's for me on the black hill reserve it's really sweet as well and the sweetness just stays on the palate so when we talk about finish for me i'm describing that after effect of 30 seconds later, what can I still taste? And for me, an arc is, it's always a beautiful finish. For me though, the initial taste on the palate in the Black Hill Reserve and in the 12 year old is quite short and shallow. I do get some lemon, the same lemon that you guys are picking up as well in the peat heart. It's a little bit more waxy in the 12 year old, but Overall, both are pretty weak the uh, easy drinking whiskers, I would say enjoyable though
0: very enjoyable um and like you said, look, a very warm flavor that you're left with at the end again quite quite exciting it's not it's not a slow finish like things are happening you know the flavor's still sort of jumping around in your mouth. very very, very entertaining whiskey to to enjoy, but yeah, sort of that citrus peat is sort of that no those are those are the main two um of what i'm getting very very nice though and very easy to drink I'd be, out of the three that you've got luke would you which would you say just a quick off the top of your head which would you say is the most enjoyable
2: well whilst you were describing that i've just taken a piece of salted chocolate and had that with the 12 year old and it is unbelievable mm. it really because it's so salty and it it really and it's quite sweet as well naturally it's chocolate the sweet and salted combined with the bitterness of and and tartness of the lemon is just a beautiful beautiful flavor and uh really really enjoyed that definitely the 12 year old over the black hill reserve if i was in an airport i'd probably say yeah i'll have a free of black hill and not buy a bottle Mm. (laughs) that would be my recommendation to our listeners
0: (laughs) those three that you've got is that they're sort of they're their main range that they offer or like have they got a, a bigger variety than all of that. Cause I can't say that I've heard of, uh, Angkor before.
2: Yeah. So it's a good question. Pete Hart is fairly new to the distillery. They've only recently launched that. So you see that a lot on their um, social media pages and on their website, it'll be one of the first things you see. Um, you guys can give your recommendations and ratings at the end of the show and, um, tell our listeners whether it's worth picking up or not. The Black Hill Reserve has been in airports for a long long time um, it's a very bland box so you might not even notice it it's just silver it looks almost like it's been wrapped in foil <laughs> <laughs> um, so no that's not that's definitely not a flagship product of theirs and the 12 year olds been been out for probably since the dawn of time their range actually if you have a look at an arc online they have a very extensive range of um, unique releases they have stunning um artwork despite the black hill being very plain the normal artwork's really stunning and they they experiment a lot with um non-age statement whiskies. um they use lots of different casks you can get sort of like spanish oak cask um finishes so have a look at their range really um and are very reasonably priced the 12 year old starts at 30 and oh, then wow. their special releases are sort of 50 60 um I'm a big fan, and to be honest, I've not tried as much as I'd like to of theirs. They're very different from a lot of um, distilleries in the sense that they are. It is such a simple flavor profile, and it's really easy to drink.
0: I really appreciate the bravery of distilleries when they do, you know, when they are up for kind of, you know, just just. I mean, not messing about, messing about with a certain level of finesse. I think is what I'm trying to say. I, you know, I think that's just brilliant because it shows that yes, you know, we know what we're doing but at the same time we're going to be adventurous and we're just going to see what happens you know when you try something that's just you know a complete you know turn from what the norm is but that's a really good point Joel and that
1: actually leads us nicely on to something i was i want to rectify from from what i said last time about um independent bottlers because uh, we had a, we I remember we had that discussion um around kind of what's the point in independent bottlers like why why do they exist and I speculated that it was perhaps a way of um, uh, sort of a more historic, a legacy from a sort of historic distribution networks. So when distilleries themselves might not have been able to distribute a whiskey, they get independent bowlers. Totally wrong. Completely, mm. that's not it at all.
2: <laughs> I mean, I I bought it.
1: <laughs> um, and me sold. Apparently, so it's a much newer kind of phenomenon, sort of, you know, 20th century sort of thing. Uh, and considering the history of whiskey making, that's yeah, it's it's relatively new. And basically, it is the the point of it, or the kind of the, the benefit and, and the reason why you have independent bottles is exactly what you were just saying, Joel. It's, not necessarily the making of it, but it's it's developing interesting new whiskies because um, obviously distilleries want to make product they can they can brand and is reliable uh, which is which is great, and we we love them all uh, but we do like those interesting ones don 't we? those ones that are a little bit different, uh, and that 's sort of where your independent um bottlers come in
0: okay, because they 're not necessarily. I mean, attached, let's say, to the brand, that means they can afford to do something like that so but does that mean for you know someone you know someone like Anok, when they do mess about with this kind of thing, is that obviously because that's not the norm for a lot of distilleries, but is that something that a lot of distilleries do, or is that quite rare across the entire let you know around Scotland and around the uk?
1: I think it's becoming more common. Um one distillery you'll probably hear me talk about a lot is Proklady, um, which is a, a new, relatively new distillery. Um I think it's probably about 20, 20, years old now, but um they inherited a whole range of spirit that they weren't they didn't know what was in it. They didn't know how it was made. So they couldn't like put it out, you know, they didn't know how old it was. And so they uh, what they did was did experiments. You know, they they did a whole range of interesting things with different casks. Um, one of the interesting series that I tasted was it was a series of five, and it was they were matured in wine barrels uh of like different strengths, so going from like a really light fruity white uh to a really dense red. Mm. Um, so kind of so you get that. So you can almost have a sense of what impact. The finishing process has on, um, has on the spirit. So independent bottlers, they tend they tend to basically release single casks. So that's as we we talked about that last time. But they also do a lot of blending. So they they blend different ones and also finish. Uh, and an example I found of of the blending one is, um, and this is done by Adelphi Distillery Limited, which is a uh, uh, an independent bottle, it's one of the bigger ones. Uh, they've or they are releasing a whisky called the Glover, which is a, a blended whisky between two distilleries in Scotland and um, a Japanese one. Uh, and it's to commemorate this uh, Scottish guy, Mister Glover, uh, who was uh, Scottish, but he, he was quite uh, instrumental in developing trade with Japan
2: in the 1800s who was it that made that
1: so that was a delphi a delphi yeah oh, okay. and it's a thousand pounds for a
2: bottle oh wow nice <laughs> you can treat us to that next ah. episode then, <laughs> yeah um Well, just picking up on what you were saying about brocladdy um it's funny because it's one of my l- probably most disliked whiskies that I've tried. (laughs) And you really like it. So we definitely need to do a tasting of that. I will say that I've
1: I've not had the Bricklady, like the their Laddie 10, which is their their have not had that in a very long time. I just really enjoyed when I went to the distillery, I loved their attitude that they had. And I mean they let us taste so much because they just have (laughs) such a huge, huge range. Um so
0: that that's yeah. the re- that, that's the key yeah, to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Here's loads so of tasty whiskey. I love you guys. I love you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, on the independent bottling um note, I've seen there's a company called That Boutique Whiskey Company. Um the boutique whiskey company do a brookladdy 13 year old. So that might be one for you, Greg. Um in terms of independent bottler for one of the distilleries you like, and it's an unusual age. And that's the kind of thing that um, people are interested in as well. I think with the Boutique Whiskey Company, they typically only have about 500 bottles. It's usually one or two casts, um, even more limited than that. So if you want something exclusive, but from a distillery that produces whiskey you love, it's the way to go really.
0: I think you know it's nice to have that consistency, and you know, be able to say like, "Look, this is a bottle," and I know that when I buy it, whenever I buy it, I'm gonna enjoy it. But there are those times when you taste like a one-off bottle or something, and you're like, "Oh my days!" That was one of the most exciting and entertaining things I've ever had. There's, you know, it's because I mean, I would I wouldn't say that it's frowned upon. But certainly, buy distilleries that are kind of like right. You know, this is what we make, and we make it well, and this is what we're going to be doing. It's it's almost it's almost like sometimes that they don't they don't want to, you know, change it up a little bit, which is a shame because there are a lot of these quality quality distilleries where it's like, look, we you know we wouldn't even mind if maybe you tried something else and it was a bit rubbish, but that's you know that's what we want sometimes.
2: I, I do take. Take, take your point, but if you think about Blenfiddich who have recently released the um, IPA cask and I've not seen that from any other distillery. So clearly these big brands can um, branch out, but there's obviously a huge marketing um, force behind it always. And it's still very much ben Yeah.
0: I mean, maybe it's of a lack of other stuff that they can do. I know you can make sort of little tweaks, but to do something, you know, like we were saying about the Glenfiddich, about the IPA cask, you know, that is something that I I haven't seen across anything either. So it's really nice to see something like that from, you know, a very prestigious brand such as Glenfiddich. So I, you know, that would be very cool to have a taste of yeah, yeah. to be fair encourage yeah it. no absolutely yeah. absolutely and so it's good to have it's just good to see as well because i think it shows um a certain attitude of the distillery that you know yes we know that we're good at what we do but we're not afraid to you know just kind of wait out to the deep end kind of thing once in a while and be like right we're, we're not sure how this is going to go but we're going to see what happens um absolutely how I, I i don't know i don't know if this is like an answer or anything if we can make an answer to this but how much would you need to kind of set up like a private like bottling thing uh, you know if
2: if you give me five million i'll make it happen. five
0: million right i'll just i'll go to I'll, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go to the bank tomorrow and i will just are transfer. you talking
2: about producing your own or um, buying from distilleries and bottling it yourself because realistically it's probably only a few grants to, to do that If you're talking about one cask, um, in fact, you could have a search online and it's relatively accessible as an option. Um, The trick is trying to get a reputable brand and being able to visit and trust that you're actually getting what you think you're getting. Not many distilleries have open doors. Mm. You might buy a cask from them and never see it. And for me, that takes away a lot of the uh, excuse upon spirit of the uh-huh. cask
0: purchase. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why would, why would you never see it, though? Because, yeah, like, why would that happen? Because it's in a warehouse
1: and it's buried in loads of other casks.
2: They might not even have your name on it. It's just that you can buy a cask from them.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, that wouldn't be ideal.
2: Now, I'm... Um, really sat here itching to ask greg about what this uh change of rules is yes. <laughs> yes it's nagging at me i need to know
1: so it's not a big change as i said and so basically the it's i can't i think it's the scotch whiskey association right? they, they basically govern what you're allowed like how scotch whiskey is made and they're notoriously uh, strict um and if you read all their marketing, it's all about preserving the integrity of the Scotch whiskey brand, you know, so that, you know, so that people don't go and do crazy experiments and everyone hates it and says, oh, I don't like Scotch whiskey uh, based on, you know, some bad experiences. And so, one thing that, you know, we talk about all these casks and these barrels. And one thing that it was, was the case is that you could only use a barrel to mature the whiskey and it had been used to make. Uh, wine, beer, or bourbon. Wine, but also like fortified wine, so like cognac, armagnac, uh, sherry, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Or, so they've changed that now, and now you're allowed to use any cask that's had a spirit matured in it as part of its uh, traditional making process. So the example they give is that you can't, you can't make, you can't mature gin in a barrel and then put it because that's not part of the gin making process. But the interesting one is tequila. You can you can have is use uses as oak aging. So you could have uh, a, a tequila finished uh, whiskey, which
0: would be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think interesting is the exactly. word. Exactly,
2: I'm glad you brought this up. There's definitely uh, what I heard as well. I can't wait for tequila whiskey. <laughs> I was wondering as well, like, where does it end? I mean, um, I'm glad you clarified on the gin point. So, gin isn't matured in a cask, and therefore, we wouldn't have like gin casks. No, finished. so some, some,
1: some gin is aged in uh, in oak casks. But that's still because it's it's an age, it's the age rather than the it's actual it, making. Yeah,
0: it's not part of the actual creation process. And so I mean I'm assuming the same's for vodka as well. I don't think that's done in barrels of any kind. No, so then this led me on a um on another
1: journey, is actually what spirits other than those ones that they've mm. said um are made in a barrel.
2: Wait, can we guess? Because I mean there's some crazy spirits out there. Can you imagine like absinthe finished whiskey? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's um, uh, there's things like and, and you think about the cures like Disaronno. Oh. or um y- y- you know there's some crazy spirits oh, out there. Okay, it,
0: wait a wait a minute. Y- Jaeger
2: whiskey. Uh, <laughs> wait a minute
0: let wait a minute let let Greg <laughs> let Greg talk now because he's gonna know like which ones are there. Okay so what like what can we no, potentially no, I expect? I, Oh no. I don't know. I couldn't find. I couldn't find. Oh okay. uh, yeah. I couldn't find much. Yeah. So obviously we'll be expecting tequila whiskey from someone at some point, whenever some like people are going to branch out from that. But what else is done in a barrel then as part of the creation process?
2: Well it is a bit weird because they cited it as like keeping up with the times and being more modern. And we don't want Scotch whiskey to, you know, fall into um the past, but that's a um I don't want to say it's a key part of whiskey, but you you acknowledge that there is a heritage of whiskey production. Um, it's almost like it didn't need to be changed. I mean, no one's crying out for tequila flavored whiskey. Oh, well, you they, are. Really? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah,
1: I, I would agree with that. When I first read it, I was like, oh my God, this is really exciting. Um, but then, actually, thinking about it, I thought, well, I mean, I would argue that there's not enough wine casks being used. You know, um, it's starting to become a bit more common. But like, I'm of the ones I've tasted, I love the kind of red wine cask uh, whiskey. So I think it's um, you, you need a couple of trailblazers, I think, to kind of to 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 work with Spice what up, they already yeah. can. I suppose, yeah, mm, yeah. You know, because if you think about it, it's usually the finishes. It's like it's port and sherry. That's about it, right? Wine is starting to happen. But if you think about...
2: I'm trying to think about what might work. I mean, honey mead might work very well with whiskey. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know how mead is, um, whether that's matured in a cask.
1: I think that's part of the traditional bit, yeah.
2: So there we go. I've nailed it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, mead, it, is,
0: Wow. a Basically, the next, the next few years are going to be uh, quite exciting of, you know, what happens really and you know the the other liquors and liqueurs that you know distillery starts to mess about with i think it's going to be fascinating
1: yeah and there's a, the norwegian spirit called akavit which interestingly enough Akvavit means water of life in norwegian and whiskey is derived from a gallic term which also means water of life so akavit that's matured in barrels and that that's got a very interesting flavor because that it's overwhelmingly taste of cumin. Oh. So it's very spicy. Um, yeah, not sweet at all. So I think that would be, at least the one I've tried, and obviously it's, there's a lot of variation in it as well, but the one I tried is very like that. And I think that would be quite an interesting, those kind of That's more.
2: crazy. I'm trying to pair cumin with a, a whiskey that would work well. I. That's a very unique flavor that would... It would be very interesting. I'm thinking of something like Abalawa, where it's really um, fruity and um, raisiny and a bit spicy already. Yeah, that, this is an exciting
0: prospect, isn't it? I think yeah, the next few years of just kind of whiskey making in general, especially from those distilleries that we know are a bit more known to kind of dabble in some of the stuff that you wouldn't usually. I think it's going to be very interesting to see who makes a tequila whiskey first, especially for <laughs> Luke's sake. Uh, but but I, I don't know. I think it's just going to be cool because obviously I can't imagine you know a tequila or a, you know a a peated whiskey. And peated to just about any level going in a tequila barrel that just doesn't sit right with me you what you need a whiskey that's already got a bit of you know that instant fire to it, a very exciting quick whiskey and if you pair that with the tequila barrel, I feel like they'll just complement each other no end um, but I cannot, I cannot imagine a peated tequila whiskey that just that, that doesn't sit right in my stomach I, I, I can't imagine that not at all. Not at all. Definitely food for thought. Right. So obviously we've come to the very exciting part of the show where we we kind of rate and review the whiskey that we've been tasting throughout the course of the podcast. Obviously today was the peat Heart, which I I, lo- I quite like that name as well. I think that's you know I just think that's a little touch of brilliance there. Um, yeah, a a a very interesting peated whiskey. I think you know definitely. Definitely my style of peated whiskey. Uh, you know, it's obviously it's it's got that it's got that peaty flavour to it on the you know on the nose and on the palate. But those citrus flavours really really come through, especially on the palate for me. Um, and so I think out of ten, I think I'm gonna have to give. I think I'm gonna have to give a seven. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. The finish for me is what. Let me down. It didn't. It didn't hang around as much as I would have liked it to. Uh, which, yeah, you know, I, I know that Luke is it disagrees with that uh, big time. But I think that you know, and I know I'm comparing this again, but compared to the Thomason we had, I think it was a few weeks ago, which just it's like two hours later, two hours later, it's still there, and I just love that. So. I think in comparison to that, yes, you know, yes, it has got a lovely finish, but the finish is so good. I wish it was there for longer. So it's kind of a backhanded compliment there for me. So it was seven out of 10 uh, today for the Anarch Pete Hart for me. Luke, you're, I could tell you're just like ready to burst with about to, you know, chop my head off with this. So what, like, what can we, what can we get from you?
2: Yeah. Well, it doesn't translate very well into podcast, but I've been gawping the whole time that Joe's <laughs> been talking there. Um, not a long finish. Fair enough, maybe Joel didn't drink as much. Um, I thought the I, I'm not drinking the peat heart today, so I'm going from memory and maybe that's fair, but a very typical Avanark, both of the black Hill reserve and the twelve year old did have an incredibly long lasting finish and it's just absolutely beautiful and similar to the peat heart um citrus flavors, there's maybe some more crisp a- apple, some honey, beautiful drink. Both of them, but to rate the Pete Hart from memory, I think seven is perfectly fair, and I would also go for a seven. Greg, how about you?
1: Um, I think I'd go a little bit lower for that. I'd maybe go five and a half if I'm allowed to do halves. Um, I think it was—it's really nice, really drinkable, but I think it's unlike, uh, I suppose, in disagreement to to Joel. I, I thought it—I didn't think it was that complex. Um yeah, I just thought it was I mean, it's nice. I'd I'd happily sit and drink it. Um, I might might even buy a bottle. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I didn't it didn't blow me away. Uh, it's very much in my what I would call a, a session
2: dram. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yep. And that's what I like about it. Very good. So probably averaging out to about, you know, six and a half, maybe a six. I think I think that's not too bad. We're brutal on this as well. Like we really pick the whiskies apart. We don't we don't take any prisoners with these. I really quite <laughs> like that. I think that's brilliant.
2: Yeah, I suppose it is a bit ruthless. And we always put our rate up on the website wheretheswhiskey.co.uk and up on our Instagram
0: as well. Yes. Yeah, so you guys, you know, you guys can agree or disagree with us and let us know if we're all chatting rubbish.
2: Exactly. And if you've tried it yourself, yeah. Exactly. That's that's part of the fun.
0: Lots of love, boys. Thank you very much. See you later.
2: Ciao. Peace.